Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey into Oratory. I'm your host, Dan Riley. An extraordinary man lived and worked in Germany in the 16th century. He was a professor of theology, a priest, an author, a composer, and a monk. Not figuratively, but literally, he was a Renaissance man. His name, Martin Luther. Today he is known as the father of the Protestant religion and the crowning leader of a century-long religious reformation in Europe. Back in his time, the Catholic Church dominated religious life in Europe and was exceedingly influential in the politics of the European nations. At the time, the Bible was predominantly available to Europeans in the Latin language only. Martin Luther believed the German people would better understand the Bible if it were in their native tongue. So eschewing the Catholic version, he translated the Bible into German, which had a profound impact on the German culture. He thought it ludicrous that a pope or other religious hierarchy be intercessors between a person and their God. What he found most offensive was the sale of indulgences. As crazy as this sounds today, it was common at the time of the Catholic Church to offer its parishioners a certificate of indulgence. By paying money to the church, one could reduce the amount of punishment one had to undergo for their sins upon arriving in purgatory. For non-Catholics, in the Catholic doctrine, purgatory is a spiritual dimension you enter immediately upon physical death to be purified of your sins. On Halloween night, 1517, Martin Luther marched up to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany and nailed his 95 thesis to the door, thus lighting the flame of the Reformation. A Protestant faith was born. A little more than 200 years later, a Baptist minister from Atlanta, Georgia, Michael King Sr., attended a Baptist World Alliance meeting in Berlin, Germany. It was there he learned the story of Martin Luther. So impressed he was, he changed both his name and his five-year-old son's name from Michael to Martin Luther, Sr. and Jr. Today we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. I want to explore a few specific factors which made him one of the best orators of the last century. Because he and his speeches were so imbued with tremendous passion and inspiration, people often overlook just how skilled he was at the constituent parts that make for a great speaker. In this first clip, King demonstrates the power of a personal story. You'll also hear him using his favorite rhetorical device, an aphra, more commonly known as repetition. And while sitting the autographing books, a diminutive black woman came up. The only question I heard from her was, you, Martin Luther King, and I was looking down writing, and I said yes. The next minute I felt something beating on my chest. Before I knew it, I had been stabbed by this demented woman. I was rushed to Harlem Hospital. It was a dark Saturday afternoon. That blade had gone through and the x-rays revealed that the tip of the blade was on the edge of my aorta, the main artery. And once that's punctured, you're drowned in your own blood, that's the end of you. It 
came out in the New York Times the next morning that if I had merely sneezed, I would have died. Well, about four days later, they allowed me, after the operation, after my chest had been opened and the blade had been taken out, to move around in the wheelchair in the hospital. They allowed me to read some of the mail that came in, and from all over the states and the world, kind letters came in. I read a few, but one of them I will never forget. I had received one from the president and the vice president. I've forgotten what those telegrams said. I'd received a visit and a letter from the governor of New York, but I've forgotten what that letter said. But there was another letter that came from a little girl, a young girl, who was a student at the White Plains High School. And I looked at that letter, and I'll never forget it. It said simply, Dear Dr. King, I am a ninth grade student at the White Plains High School. She said, while it should not matter, I would like to mention that I'm a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering. And I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. I'm simply writing you to say that I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. I want to say tonight that I too am happy that I didn't sneeze because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream and taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy, which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. If I had sneezed, if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1962. The Negroes in Albany, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If I had sneezed, if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963. Black people of Birmingham, Alabama, aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had. If I had sneezed, I'm happy tonight, I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. If I had sneezed. Not only does he capture the audience's attention with that story, he uses the story as a launching pad to talk about his civil rights agenda. Martin Luther King is the only American other than George Washington to have his birthday become a national holiday. He was the first African-American to become named Time Man of the Year. And since his death, there have been over 1,000 cities which have named streets after him.
In this next clip, King again demonstrates the power of repetition as a rhetorical device. With the video version of this podcast, you'll see how he wields a staccato gesture like that of an orchestra conductor to seemingly brand the audience with the words, glory, hallelujah. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, yes, sir. however frustrating the hour, it will not be long no, because truth crushed earth will rise again. Yes, sir. How long, not long, yes, sir. because no lie can live forever. Yes, sir. How long, not long, How long? Yes, because you shall reap what you sow. Yes, How long, How not long? Wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the village where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. One should take notice just how clean a speaker King was. You hear no ums or ahs, no injected non sequiturs, like, you know, I mean, right, and stuff like that. And his use of the all-important pause was masterful. The two most important factors for developing or improving the skill of public speaking are practice and feedback. Martin Luther King had an abundance of both. During his 12 years on the public stage, he gave an average of 450 speeches per year. And because a good number of those were videotaped, he was consistently receiving ample feedback. This last clip will be portions of his most famous speech, commonly referred to as the I Had a Dream speech. Here he demonstrates how metaphors can make for soaring rhetoric. Of course, he uses his signature rhetorical device, an aphora, with let freedom ring as well. Additionally, a great example of impromptu speaking will be on display. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. 
five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together this is our hope and this is a faith that I go back to the south with with this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope with this faith, 
we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. Not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spirit. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Whirlwinds of revolt, seared in the flames of withering injustice, tranquilizing drug of gradualism. It's hard to find a line in that speech that doesn't contain a powerful metaphor. King's speechwriter Clarence Jones didn't believe the I had a dream block was appropriate for that venue, so he convinced King to leave it out. But according to the New York Times, a famous gospel singer at the time, Mahalia Jackson yelled out, tell him about the dream, Martin. And of course he did. Good impromptu speaking is a misnomer. Mark Twain wrote, it usually takes me more than three weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech. Churchill's driver told of a time he drove Churchill to an event, and as they parked outside, Churchill sat in the back seat writing frantically on note cards for 45 minutes. The driver asked the prime minister what he was doing. Churchill replied, preparing for any impromptu remarks I'm requested to make. The truth is Dr. King had used the I had a dream block several times in previous speeches, and because he was so well prepared, he created the illusion it was an effortless endeavor, another great example of what a skilled speaker King was. Martin Luther King was assassinated on April 4, 1968. Curiously enough, he prophesied his own death in a speech the night before. He told the crowd of sanitation workers, I've been to the mountaintop. God has allowed me to see the promised land. I might not get there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land. Martin Luther King Jr. is required study for the aspiring orator. 
he may well be the gold standard. With that, our journey for today has ended. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, throw off those bowlines. We're on the moon now.